Stark Contrast, a Game of Thrones podcast and movie fail. I'm Soren Howe, and I'm here with Josh Rosenfield. And today we are going to be discussing the first episode of season seven of Game of Thrones. Is it season seven already? I think. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, Dragonstone. Uh, so this is, uh, it's, well, before we get into that, I suppose uh, we owe uh, a little bit of an explanation to people who listen to our, our podcasts. Um, it's been a while. It's been a while. Um, partially, I suppose, for Game of Thrones, for those of you who only listen to our Game of Thrones podcast, it's not so unusual, considering that we, uh, their Game of Thrones is just starting up again. Um, for those of us who, uh, for those of you listening who listen to our other podcasts, uh, namely uh, Hoopleheads, our, our Deadwood podcasts, um, those episodes are still in the works. Uh, but I do encourage uh, folks who haven't listened to those uh, podcasts to go and uh, check them out. Um, we covered almost the entirety of season one, and we'll be wrapping up uh, the last couple of episodes as soon as possible. Um, and uh, that'll wrap up season one of Deadwood, and then uh, if we see that there's a, a, a positive response, we'd love to, to continue doing that as well. Um, but we certainly will be covering all of Game of Thrones, as is tradition at MovieFail. Um, and yeah, I just want to thank everybody for tuning in if you are tuning in for the first time or if you're a returning listener. Um, but anyway, it's, it's great to hear your voice again, Josh. I feel like it's been a thousand years. <laughs> yeah, same here. It's been, I don't think we've had, it, it's our longest break from doing any kind of podcasting in a really long time. I Seriously, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think. Because usually we do like little stuff between Game of Thrones seasons. Something I know. We haven't reviewed any movies. It's, um, it's been yeah. a dry spell. I watched a lot of movies complained about a lot of movies just haven't recorded <laughs> it um so yeah and uh the other thing too is i don't know i've just been enjoying movies a lot recently um and so you know it's kind of hard when you really like something i mean i'm sure you probably hated <laughs> everything i liked but you know um it's just, like i haven't i've been probably passionate <laughs> i haven't felt passionately <laughs> about anything for a while so i suppose um even recently we were talking about baby driver in private and um like i i didn't i didn't love it you you thought it was decent and you know yeah. that's not neither of those are strong positions to take you know <laughs> hmm. well he oh, didn't sure, love yeah. it and... so he, he thought it was okay he didn't love it you know yeah <laughs> yeah so um but yeah i'd uh i'm excited to talk about game of thrones uh as it was weird jumping back into this world because everything's sort of picking up immediately as it left off uh but it's been so long that it took me a while to reorient myself and what was going on. Actually, this time I did watch the uh, previously on to reorient. Oh, I'm glad you did, because uh, it was kind. Of, it was weird. Um, the editing was like uh, you. I mean, usually, like with any kind of previously on segment, they're they're functional more than anything else. Uh, it's just kind of a collection of the relevant scenes. Mm. Um, this one was a little more adventurous in in a weird way, and I'm not sure how I feel about it, but it was also really long. Um, so I it guess was. they thought it was, if yeah. it's going to be, you know, five minutes long, we might as well do something with it that makes it a little more watchable. Yeah, it was a lot of, like, fast cutting and... Uh, yeah, a lot of, like, weird smash cuts yeah. between different things. A lot of drama in the uh, <laughs> in that little intro sequence, but... Um, yeah, you know, it was interesting, because this whole episode, I think, had that, uh, well, not 
it wasn't as it wasn't all like the that that intro, but there was some interesting editing and some interesting uh, work done uh, in this episode as well that seemed new. Yeah, there were a couple things that jumped that jumped out to me as well. It's definitely a lot more. Um... <laughs> they're they're trying more. <laughs> There's more effort put into stuff like um, like the editing and. Uh, in particular, I think we'll talk. There's a couple examples we can talk about, but it was uncharacteristic of Game of Thrones to even have stuff like that to pick up on. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I I thought the same, and I couldn't tell how I felt about it. So there's two different things that Game of Thrones could do differently than it usually. So what it usually does isn't it doesn't stand out like that element of the show doesn't stand out usually. Um, most times, with notable exceptions. Um, it could do what happens when Miguel Sapochnik steps into the director's seat and it just becomes like this incredible show for, for an episode or two. Yeah. Um, and this was our old uh, our old uh, enemy, Jeremy Pedesma, I know. on this one. I know, that's why, you know, who, who would have uh, thought? But uh, yeah, so, so you can get this where it's totally new and, and different and really excellent in, in that regard. Or you can use tricks that, you know, you might have seen in other shows... Um, and I just, of course, I'm thinking of the sequence with Sam, most obviously. You might expect yeah, that yeah. in another That's show, I... just not in Game of Thrones. And I, 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 it was like I don't know if you have been watching Better Call Saul, but it had the rhythm of like, um, oh Jesus, what's the name? What's that? The Breaking Bad guy and the Breaking Better Call Saul guy, Vince Gilligan. It had that kind of rhythm and kind of energy of of one of his productions. Oh, interesting. Yeah, um, that's an interesting comparison. I I thought. In terms of like the, uh, it definitely really felt hitting cinematic. Sort of... Like I've seen, I've seen films where that that kind of scene happens. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Just like the, and I will say, I think it went on for just like a little too long, <laughs> um, just just a hair too long. But it was, I mean, they were again, yeah, enjoying themselves was like a... with that little that little segment. Uh, but I liked it. It was funny. It was rhythmic. It was narratively um, engaging it, and it and, and informative too. I mean, it told you. A lot about what was going on. Um, yeah, I mean, I I didn't think we'd be getting anything with Sam at the Citadel, really. Yeah, um, and except it's... for like, except for like a couple scenes that like more like the the last scene we got of him, you know, reading the book and then sending a letter to John. I figured we get like that basically. So to have more but it's, of, but an... it's funny. It's funny that that is the scene that we're talking about that, or you know, stood out in terms of the filmmaking. Like, not yeah. only was I not expecting to get that that kind of scene, as you said, but also I certainly wasn't expecting an, a, a scene about, you know, somebody working in basically a, a giant library to have one of the more excitingly edited sequences in the, the episode. Well, yeah, because usually they put all their eggs in, like, the big battles and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Really, the, the stuff with the big scope and scale. Um, and we must have talked about... Yeah, we've definitely talked about this before. You can see where... The, there are the scenes where the money goes yeah. and then the scenes where the money is taken away from. And usually that's just how it goes on this show. Um, so it is interesting to see them put more effort into a, you know, less narratively important scene, I guess. But this whole episode really was not a lot of... We're used to the beginning of every season being kind of like uh, a lot of table setting. I think we talk about it every year. Um, it can be as long as the first four episodes yeah, of the season definitely. are just, you know setting the pieces for the uh, big conflicts that are the rest of the season. Um, but this really, I mean, it was that to an extent, but a large portion of this episode was just like the uh, character beats, basically. 
and you know is stuff that isn't necessarily connected to the uh uh stories that these characters are going through but they're just kind of exploring like what they personally are going through um and it, i guess i mean my hope is that that's set up for what the rest of the season will do and that this will be maybe a more character driven season but i know deep in my heart that it won't be because it's the last <laughs> season and they're going to be it's just going to be plot 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 which is you know it's it's fine I mean, I, I enjoy the watching the show. Last, right? There's still season eight. Well, they're doing the HBO thing that they did with The Sopranos too, where it's like we're splitting this the last season into two parts, um, and it's slightly extended, oh, it's... and each part is <laughs> less than a normal season. But both are season set. Like, yeah, The Sopranos did the exact same thing. It's dumb. They're gonna say that next year is the second half of season seven, but they're separated by a year. <laughs> yeah, they're two seasons. Well, I thought they said they were calling. I thought they were calling it season eight. Oh, are they? Yeah, I think. I oh, think I so. thought they were doing like, hmm. All right. Well, but in any case, that's like that's that's kind of the model, though. Is there? Doing no, it certainly is, and, and abbreviated. You can tell. Yeah. I mean, the way this ends, it's very evidently the climax of Game of Thrones. You know, this is the beginning of the end in whatever capacity, and there, you know, all the ads and stuff all say winter is here and whatever. So, yeah, no, clearly that's what they're doing. Uh, broadly speaking, but um, we'll see how connected the two seasons are. Uh, worth noting, I did write this down outright because it's still like a, a, a lingering uh, sadness for me. Miguel Sapochnik, I don't think, is directing any episodes this season. Um, no, he's not. Alan Taylor is, is back for one, though. Right. Yes, Alan Taylor is back, and, and Miguel Sapochnik is not doing any, which is uh, unfortunate, but you know, maybe he'll be in charge of the finale. Oh, God, I hope he's in charge of the finale. <laughs> Yeah, the directors are, Pedez was doing this one and the last one, and then Alan Taylor's doing the penultimate one, and then Mark Mylod's doing two, and Matt Shankman, who, I don't know who that is. Um, hmm, he must be new to the, that's interesting. It's interesting that they gave a new director to the show two episodes of the, like, last season. All right, so he's worked on Fargo, I guess. All right, and some Mad Men. Interesting. Hmm. Well, those, those are shows you like. Guess we'll have to see with those. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I only watched the first season of Fargo, I gotta say. You haven't, or you have? We, no, I've, I've only seen the first season, be, oh, which really? is funny, because I was, I raved about the first season, I thought it was incredible, but there's been two subsequent seasons that I just, like, haven't, I haven't been bothered. And I feel like a lot <laughs> of people who like, even people who like the first thought the second was about some of the best television they'd ever seen. It's funny that you yeah, didn't watch it. It's, yeah, I don't know, I don't know why, it's just I don't really... I'm, I, I, in the time between the first two seasons, I just like lost interest in the concept, I guess. Anyway, to focus back on uh, Game of Thrones, uh, we get a cold open for this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, with uh, See, that's the other thing, too, is by having the... I, I would say the one thing that I suppose it ruined is because it's been so long, they could take advantage of the fact that uh, we might have forgotten that Walter Frey was dead. Yeah, I thought that too. Um, so this whole sequence. Uh, so, okay, two things I've got to say about the uh, the faceless men and this whole thing that Arya can do now. Yeah, I know what you're about to say. Yeah, okay, so first of all, obviously, <laughs> the idea of like this tiny... I suppose she's she's older now, but still like young woman somehow putting on a mask or whatever they do and looking like this old man. All right, whatever. It's magic, I guess. Um, 
Yeah, but, it's the 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 problem is the way they portrayed. Because when I read it in the books, what I imagined was like, like you would move your hand over your face and it would be like a spell kind of dispels. So the idea would be like the whole thing was just like a magical illusion. But the way they do it in the show is like they're pulling off a latex mask. Yeah, exactly. And she's standing there, at, you know, a foot and a half taller than she normally yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the thing. And the other thing that bothers me about it, I would say probably more so, because that you can be like, oh, it's magic, it's an illusion, whatever, um, is that she somehow captures his speech patterns and, like, it's exactly how Walter Frey would talk and all of his little nuances and all the rest of it. And you can say, oh, that's what she learned with the Faceless Men, but in the many hours we spent in the Faceless Men, there was no process by which she learned things like how to mimic people or whatever. She spends, like, a lot of time cleaning and doing other Yeah, she spent all her time cleaning and then, like, a little bit of fighting. That was, in retrospect, yeah, that's a disappointment with that whole subplot. There was no, like espionage training no and you would you would expect i mean there was that brief period where she's doing a little bit of it but it's all still like assassination and putting poison in things and that but there's no yeah exactly there's no learning how to become another person and maybe that's all taken care of by the um many-faced god or whatever uh and so you don't have to worry about that because that's all sort of just sorted out but as part of the illusion but uh that's an awfully convenient I don't know. It's an awfully convenient magic. It's just fine. Yeah, it's yeah, it's fine. It's just it's a little. The way they portray it makes it more problematic than I think it it otherwise would be. Yeah, because um, I'm willing to buy. I mean, listen, I you know, we buy a lot of crazy weird things in. It, look, okay, here's a perfect example. I don't love the Harry Potter series. You know, um, it's not my favorite thing in the world, but it's a you know it's a it's a decently told story, and there's this whole sequence about um, Polyjuice Potion where they all become other people but for some reason that was believable because they transform into completely different people and they don't you know completely you know adopt all these nuances and all these little like quirks and things of the people that they become it's it's just very transparently they just are appearing and sounding like those people uh briefly and the potion they drink transforms them into these people and for some reason that was fine you know uh and in this case i don't know it just didn't quite didn't quite grab, you know. I it, it took me out of it a little bit, um, but perhaps uh, I'm just nitpicking. I, it was a it was a very satisfying scene. I said, despite all that, I really enjoyed Arya walking through a room full of um, dead phrase at the uh, at the conclusion of the scene. So yeah, perhaps I should. Yeah, I mean, it was. It's a little. It's weird as an opening to the season. I thought a little dark. A little dark. <laughs> well, I mean, it just it seems kind of so. First of all, it seems kind of like behind the times in terms of what's actually going on with the rest of the characters. Like, the Red Wedding happened forever ago. And I know that this is in Arya's character, and I thought it was great when she killed Walder Frey last season. But as an opening to this season, considering everything else that's going on, it seems a weird place to start uh, as a big action beat. Like, well, this, the, you know. You know, so, I say it's dark. On the other hand, it's kind of uh, a weirdly positive note for them to start on. Uh, so maybe that's really the point of it is to set a different tone for this season that there's going to be a lot more reunions, a lot more of the Starks actually winning for once. Um, you know, making Westeros. Yeah. Well, last season was ended on an unusually triumphant note for a lot of characters too. Yeah, well, so I think that they're trying to... Because, you know, a lot of people associate Game of Thrones with, you know, one bad thing happening after the other, which is... 
generally the way it goes with a the occasional tiny victory, but that's usually you know upstaged by something terrible happening. Um, whereas in this case, it, you know, this is a lot of positive things. You know, they're finding figuring out this thing about Dragon Glass. A lot of the characters that people like are getting in place so that they can, you know, effect change in a positive way. Nothing bad happens to anybody who's quote unquote good in the story so far. Um, and I think that they maybe wanted to start that as the the note to to begin the season on either to upend it so that if something horrible happens at the end of the season and we lose like half the cast again, or alternatively, um, that is the way that they're going to be sort of moving towards the end of the the uh, the series is in a more positive direction to you know tie a ribbon around everything and and give it a bit more of a a positive ending after suffering for however many seasons. I don't know, but it seems like that's more of the intention. Yeah, I don't know about that. But, it, I mean, it's definitely an upturn, if not, you know. It's, for some I mean, reason. I, during, what was it, season five, you go back to listen listen to our season five episodes, I was miserable. Oh, yeah. Just the whole time. Because that season was just wallowing in just this nihilism and, and cynicism. It was, it was so just, like, uh grim like over overwhelmingly and season six was definitely a step in the, a different direction and i think they're therefore yeah they're following up on that and i saw uh there were some some uh initial reactions to this premiere that were saying that the show started to find more empathy and humanity uh than oh absolutely than yeah there's previously and, and, yeah, they, yeah, and yeah. i would agree uh, you know even for characters who we don't usually see that from as as we'll we'll discuss but uh maybe that's what they're they're going for it's funny though because there's not really empathy and humanity in that she murdered an entire room full of people so um <laughs> but it is this you know a character that we like you know getting some revenge and i suppose that's that's good the other thing that i think is maybe why they opened with this is they maybe wanted to do it at the end of last season or something yeah, I got that impression too, kinda. And then the title credits jump, you know, are come right after it, and then I think time must jump forward a bit because it doesn't really make sense with the timeline of this episode. It's very strange, as it often is with Game of Thrones. Um, but just a little while yeah. later, we get another episode, another uh, sorry sh- scene with Arya, and she's already passing soldiers who have been sent to go deal with what's going on with the phrase, and they've already heard in King's Landing about all of this. Um, so I assume that there's like sort of a time jump there as well. Oh yeah, well I mean uh Daenerys had just left when last season left off and now she and she gets here in this episode. Right, exactly. So there's, so there there's at be. least that much. Um but that's it's funny to see the uh I mean the show really is picking up pretty much right away with with in terms of where the characters are even if uh there is this time jump. There's you know the hounds still traveling with this culty guys um the ships are just coming over the uh the narrow sea etc etc they don't not huge um travel so like the narrow sea isn't that big so it can get across it fairly quickly i guess um you know aria hasn't been that far out of from the twins and and uh, all of that but it's just like the slight little gap um but in any case uh so yeah i uh, i thought that was really cool i, I also really liked the shortly afterward uh we get um, shortly after the introduction, we uh, get a little bit of Bran 
Uh, the one thing I will say I was I was a bit confused about was uh, I like his vision of the uh, of the undead, and now we have undead giants. It looks like, which is quite cool. Um, I really like that whole scene is shot really really. Yeah, it's it's. I love the uh, kind of the dark, uh, you know, wind and snow slowly kind of filling the frame, yeah. and then every because we've seen this scene on this show a million oh, yeah. times. Of you know, they show it five times a season. So it was a. It, I, they found a, like a new way to show it. I think, which is good. They did. Good I like they sort of materialize out of the mist, which is cool. And then and then they have this new element of the giants, where you're like, whoa, that's crazy. Um, so I thought that was that was that was cool. Um, so but Bran shows up at the wall this episode, and I was very confused as to why. It's how far away is the wall from from Winterfell? Um. Probably not terribly far, all things considered. Because I feel like they get they're getting all these ravens and stuff at Winterfell, but there's no word that his brother, that Sansa and Jon's brother is is up at the Wall. Uh, this whole episode, I was just waiting for that to happen because they introed Bran getting to the Wall, and then we don't hear anything about what's going on. Uh, we don't hear any sort of connection between these these two parties. I guess we will in like next episode or something. But yeah, the, the way that they stagger like. Uh, time, like you, like you mentioned before, it's kind of it, it's never really clear when things are happening in relation to each other. Um, but of course, you know, th- there's stuff at Winterfell going on already this episode, so maybe it's you want to bump Bran to the next one. Maybe, but then you know, why have that whole intro sequence? Maybe they have to like do that so that he can then travel down to Winterfell in the next episode. But then I assume John's gonna go up to the wall or. I, I don't know. It no, I, I don't think John's going to the wall. I think he's got to stay in Winterfell and lead. Yeah, I suppose. But I mean, he also has to coordinate, you know, this, the, the defenses. Although I think later, don't we get some impression from the Hound that perhaps the dead have found a way through the wall that has nothing to do with their defenses at all? Oh, that was in reference to um, uh, the castle that John mentions, Eastwatch by the Sea. Oh, okay. Because he said, I, I think so. Because what the Hound says is that there, it's a castle by the sea. Oh, so I assume yeah. they're talking about the same place. And so I, I guess maybe it's a vision of the future then. Yeah, that we'll get to that scene. That scene was bizarre. It was. Bizarre. <laughs> it was very bizarre. Um, so uh, I forgot how many people, important characters, are all in one place. When they yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> so so there's this scene with John and Sansa. You know, butting heads publicly over leadership decisions. Uh, but it, before we get to that, I just thought it was. Itch- I completely forgot that Brienne and the Onion Knight and John and Sansa and soon probably Bran and all these other characters are all in one place and Tormund and, mm-hmm. and all that. Uh, yeah, and Littlefinger. And Littlefinger. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a lot of characters and a lot of threads all condensed, and it's cool because we saw last you know season Cersei killed most of the people in King's Landing that we knew. Yeah. So they've really condensed storylines so that they're, we don't have to go to 20 places to get a picture of what's going on. I don't, I'm trying to remember who we haven't, who we didn't really see this season, or this episode. Um, hmm. I don't think we missed anyone. I mean, like you said, they killed off half the cast um, <laughs> Exactly. in that explosion at the end of last season. So, yeah, I Tyrells, think... I guess, but... We don't usually follow them very much on their own. Yeah, I mean, and some of them are dead. Yeah, so I guess Elena we haven't seen. Um, we don't see... Well, Melisandre's been outcast, so we probably won't see her for a little bit. Uh, or if ever. 
Um, no, yeah, I guess. Wow, that's that's again. It's weird in the Game of Thrones premiere to catch up with every storyline and, <laughs> and every character. And then the Martells, I guess, with you know, and and that whole thing. But I don't know if we're gonna get very much of them in the future. I mean, Cersei mentions all these people, which is why I remembered that they exist. But I also, yeah, they they're not like characters we generally follow on their own uh, extensively. And when we do, as with the, the Martells, it's not exactly. Most so what did you think of this scene in in Winterfell, the big meeting scene? Uh, I thought it was um, engaging watching John try to wrestle with something that he's he's been thinking about since the first you know episode we saw him. Uh, I actually really liked every, the interaction between Sansa and John throughout these um, these couple of scenes because on one hand, John is taking a more of a leadership role even though he didn't really want it. Uh, and making firm decisions and not letting Sansa step in, which I'm not, I wouldn't be averse to that, but either you have to make a decision. You can't, you know, sort of go halfsies on it. So he said, he, you know, he, he puts his foot down on what his decision is. He goes against, I guess, in some ways, what his father might have, uh, what decisions his father might have made. Um, and I, I like that. And the, on the other hand, you have uh, Sansa, who apparently just says, exactly what is like she it's really funny because she plays the role of like describing exactly what's going on including that her dad and her brother made horribly stupid decisions that ended up getting a whole you know getting them killed uh getting themselves killed and i think that that's something that hasn't been said outright on the show yet that perhaps they're to blame for their own yeah death. she she kind of chides chides john for being uh compassionate yeah which is something that you know Sansa has an interesting perspective in this scene because <laughs> in her experience, um, you know, that never wins. Taking a kinder or a more generous uh, position, uh, you're going to lose. Yep. A- and that's been the kind of MO of this entire show that was for a very long time. And, like, we you... know that as viewers, but like, they're finally yeah. catch. It's like somebody... Actually, as he, she was talking to him, I sort of felt like it was somebody from the real world had been dropped in the show to be like, hey, maybe this is a stupid idea. Or don't mess with... Like, Cersei is going to murder or try to murder you because she has murdered every other person who has messed with her. You know, and I watched it happen. Um, and it felt like almost like somebody watching the show in the show telling the characters what's going on. Like, no, this is... Uh, you don't know this character at all. Um, you don't know this person. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, the one the bit that really stuck out to me was when they really butt heads over the um, the uh, Umbers and the Karstarks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like, I mean, John in this scene is is kind of doing away with a lot of the uh, um, the, the medieval understandings that we have about uh, a world like this, or that the people in this world have about their world. Um, in medieval fantasy. You just there's just kind of an assumption that the realities of real life medieval times uh, go along with it, and in terms of stuff like gender, obviously, which John kind of does away with very, very prominently. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I and in terms the of the idea of, <laughs> you know, the idea of people, people of a house acting uh, unilaterally, like they're all tied together, and you aren't. Uh, you know, you you are responsible for whatever sins your family members, the leaders of your house, uh, commit because you ha- you have the same last name. Um, and John is very 
realistic <laughs> about that. He he says like you know the and it's interesting when those the last members of the the yeah, leading members stand of the up and stand up children. and they're like yeah they're kids yeah. and John says to Sansa look I'm I'm not gonna punish them because their dads made mistakes I'm not gonna cast out their families forever from their ancestral homes because two members of in their entire history uh, did something dumb. Um, and yeah, like you said, it's not something that Ned probably would have done. I mean, he, he was a more reasonable guy than a lot of characters on this show. Um, but there's but just kind of, of a rule set. Rules. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's a, there's a set of rules that just people in this world are always expected to follow. And what, what, if there's one thing that bothers me a little bit is I'm not really sure how John got here. Um, I'm not really sure when he... I guess you could argue like his time with the wildlings and he kind of learned a different way of doing things, and especially with uh, in terms of getting women to fight. Um, I think you can pin that on his time with um, Egret yep. and the wildlings, but it, it seems like kind of a leap to have him totally cast aside. Uh, I, I'm just not... Well, I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, the I rule mean, wasn't that... The rule, you know, there was no. The rule was that if you make, you know, if you lay down the law, then you should be the one carrying out the law or whatever. That, that was the thing that we heard from. I don't know what the rules are on punishing families for, you know, past generations' failures, kind of thing. I, I don't know. Um, that's not something we've necessarily seen. But again, one of the the response would have been to Sansa that I thought he was going to say or would have made sense to me is. You know, if she's like, that's not the way things are done, or that's unusual, and he would be like, yeah, but I was dead, so, you know, yeah. things I mean, are weird that, now, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> that's something he should probably be bringing up more, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> he was lit, I have to keep reminding myself, this guy was dead. Um, By the way, I, I, one cool little visual parallel in this is uh, his hair is tied back in a very similar way to Arya. Oh yeah, I guess they so. started. They started. They were looking very similar, and I was like, "Oh, that's kind of cool." They're making the uh, the Starks look at least a little, at least the ones with, with black hair look at least a little bit related, um, which is kind of cool. Uh, so yeah. Uh, so but I I did I did enjoy the scene, and there was it was cool um, or 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 poignant to see that these were kids, and you have to wonder if John seeing himself a little bit, um, or his his. Um, I mean, you know, that one of the two that he's he's speaking to is has red hair and you know, Sansa was a you know, a young kid at the beginning of this whole story as well, and so maybe he's seeing a little bit of, you know, his own siblings in, in these two, so that's that's also possible. Um and I think that some of that, you know, again there's there's more sort of parallels there about uh seeing yourself in other characters, uh, that we uh, we get I, I would argue with the hound a little bit later, so we can definitely talk about that. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there was anything else. I think that's pretty much it. Uh, and then we we move on. Yeah, to that's pretty much it. To Cersei and Jamie. Um, yeah, Cersei with her cool map. Yeah, so so the map is whatever we've seen. You know, there was the the map in Dragonstone that we now get to see again in a different context, um, and we see these kinds of things uh, pretty regularly. Um, but I really like the way it was shot. And the way yeah. that we are introduced to this scene, it reminded me a lot of. Um, have you ever seen Samsara? The, uh, the no list documentary. No, I haven't. Um, I know of it, but I haven't seen it. 
Or you saw House of Cards? Oh yeah. You've seen all House of Cards? Okay, so there's um, with it, this doesn't ruin anything for anyone, I hope. Um, it's a very minor point, uh, but there's a whole sequence that is also very similar to Samsara, where they're doing the um, the sand drawing. Uh, the monks are doing the sand drawing in the uh, in the White House. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a very similar scene in Samsara where they do this, where they show it like the very meticulous sand drawing, and it's really beautiful because they do this aerial shot and then sort of a side shot. And I I just thought of that in this context. Obviously, it's just painting. It's not nearly as as you know. Um, culturally significant in that in that way but i immediately flash back to that and if you can i guess for me if you can elicit that sort of visual connection for something that's so significant uh you know you know you've you've done something right so i really like the way this was introduced and it was funny uh to see cersei laying out the plot and all of the what's going to be you know it's almost like it was for the audience to understand where her plot is in the context of all the other plots going on in the show um mm-hmm. so i thought that was kind of funny but it was it was useful uh and the other thing i really liked about the scene just as an intro is that you know now we know that jamie hasn't left even though he was horrified at the end of last season uh and that their relationship is is developing in a weird way so yeah this scene was funny to me because at the end of last season cersei seemed ascendant like, this was her moment. She had finally gained so much power. But this scene is all about how, like, oh, no, she's completely screwed. Every She has no allies. She's surrounded by people who hate her. Um, she has well, that's what her, she her, says, her... but then she immediately reveals that she actually has made a, a possible connection. Well, yeah, but then that goes nowhere. <laughs> she immediately rejects him. And I still don't get, like, what... I don't know. We can talk about that later. But... Yeah, I don't know what this is. No, we can, we'll talk about that sure. now, because that's... Just... That's right afterwards. Um, Euron shows up uh, with all his ships. Which is funny, because I think last season we assumed he was going to also try and court Daenerys or something. Yeah, that's. I think that's what we said was going to happen, because he says something about going to try and marry a queen. Yeah, um, and we didn't think it was going to be Cersei. Yeah. Or at least Although it makes sense, of course, because Daenerys isn't, <laughs> isn't where uh, he, he thought she would be anymore. Yeah, no, exactly. And yeah, how would, yeah, how would he know? And... Um, Although it is worth noting, uh, so it's kind of funny the Greyjoys are all sort of sticking their claim with random other people uh, in uh, in Westeros. Um, w- quick question, I know this is a different uh, st- a narrative thread, but where is Asha at this point? Did she stay in the no. island? No, she didn't. She must have. Oh, well, there, there you go. There's characters that we haven't caught up with. I don't remember what happened to them. Well, I thought she was with... I thought she was with Daenerys. Me too. Because they, they met up. Um, Theon was with them when they show up at Dragonstone. You can see him in long, sh- you know, in, in sort of the wider shots, but you don't see any, you know, there's no like close ups. It's all mostly Tyrion and, and, and Varys and, and Daenerys. Um, but Asha's just gone. Uh, I, I must have missed what happened to her. Maybe we'll get another previously on next episode. Yeah, I, I don't remember. Hmm. Um, but in any case, so yeah, Euron is here and he's, uh, quite brazen for someone who uh, for for this universe and in a, a community where you know Cersei just blew up like half the city um yeah i got to say i loved him here i got to say like i don't this? remember if he was this good in his previous appearances but i really liked him in this scene i think he, he was, it weirds he was me out cuz he looks a little bit like michael shannon and i feel like michael shannon would have done the scene <laughs> very <does>. similarly you know, it's funny. His last two film credits were um, were Ghost in the Shell and The Great Wall. So, uh, oh, he's the dude from Ghost in the Shell. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually like so really. That. Oh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two um, completely uncontroversial. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, credits to have on your filmography. <laughs> yeah, he's uh. Hey, listen, he's been uh, he's been a busy guy. So. Um, <laughs> but he's really good here. Yeah, he's good here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it actually makes me appreciate him a lot more because he plays a fairly a much. I don't. Did you see Ghost in the Shell? No. Okay. Um, so I did see it, and the the character he plays is a lot, like leaving else everything else about Ghost in the Shell aside, his character is a lot more subtle and um, just very very different. So it's cool to see his range in this case. Um, cool. Uh, yeah, that, that definitely puts it in, in in a bit of context. Um, so yeah, it's a cool scene where you know I, I guess um maybe it's Batman, maybe it's something that's just made me wary of uh. Not wary, wary of uh, uh, of characters being, you know, oh, I'm crazy and I'm playing with fire. Uh, you know, it's sort of the Joker thing, and that's just it's boring to me at this point. But yes, no, for for what it is, it's fine. Um, and also the uh, yeah, that's not the that's not the impression I got from this character. Well, no, it's just um, like it's it, it's not it's not that I think he's the Joker in this universe or whatever. It's just the the devil may care sort of attitude in the face of you know a very threatening serious figure um but i think what it bothered me more about this is is the like it doesn't come to any sort of conclusion and the conclusion it comes to is something that's like you'll find out in a new in another episode bum, bum, bum. Yeah. you know it's like all right yeah I, like yeah like i said that i'm not sure what the point of <laughs> what the point of this scene was as much as i liked it um really i just liked that he was kind of uh, ribbing jamie and James that Jackson's was that was funny. that was good the two working hands thing because it was it was a double burn right because it's like I know what your relationship is and also you've got yeah. one hand uh, or one arm uh, so yeah that was a bit uh, a bit dark but but well delivered uh, yeah and it's uh, you know I, I also the other thing that I like to think back to whenever I see um, the throne room in uh, King's Landing. I always think back to when Littlefinger pulls that coup uh, when Ned is still around uh, in the first season and how surprised everyone was and why well, was and it was so exciting and oh my god there's everyone's backstabbing everyone and um, now to think about how small potatoes that was compared to what's going on here it's just <laughs> really funny same room completely different context um, in fact completely empty <laughs> except for soldiers <laughs> Um, so yeah, I just thought it was, uh, it's fun to think back on that. Uh, should we talk about Ed Sheeran now? I think this is what happens next. Um, well, actually one other point, uh, one other very small point is just, again, Jamie and Cersei's relationship is bizarre, uh, especially at this point. You would expect Jamie to have left. I'm really surprised he's sticking around or bothering to, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's afraid of her and that, or that she'll, he'll come after her or she'll come after him or, or I don't know um, but he makes this point which is what I'm saying and why I would have left is you know she's not at all spending any time mourning her kids and uh, you know she's talking about this dynasty that, that bothered me too well and she's like you know she says you know I you know I want a dynasty for our family and he's like <laughs> for who our children are dead you know or for whom you know and it's like it's a good point. It's a very bizarre. Um, 
I guess in some ways, you know, it's she's she's shaken up by this crazy tragedy. She's also kind of, you know, murderous and has really lost it at this point. Um, but Jamie hasn't, and I don't know why he doesn't just see this and go, yeah, I'm gonna go. Well, because family is the most important thing to Jamie. Yeah, um, yeah, but he likes Tyrion too, and Tyrion's actually with people who are slightly less crazy than Cersei. Yeah, but I mean, Jamie—he's never gonna abandon Cersei. He—he he cares too much for her, and obviously, um, <laughs> but he, yeah, I, he has too much affection for her. No, I mean, I think he recognizes that she's evil, <laughs> but he also—I I don't think it's ever gonna get to a point. I mean, it, it, if it ever Where got to that, that point, I think she's a mass murderer at this point. No, no. I, I, I think it'll. Here's my honest prediction: is I think he's going to kill her by the end of this season. Um, but Slayer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't think. Um, I, I, I don't think we're there yet. I think the thing that the thing that's going to push him over the edge is going to push him way over the edge, and there's not going to be an in between where he just leaves. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess that's what they're going to do with it. I, I don't disagree with that prediction. I just It frustrates me because he was more than willing to... St- I know it wasn't his family, but he was more than willing to stab um, the Mad King when the Mad King was going to do exactly what she's already done. We, we, we were saying last season, like, if she does this, that's going to be the, the thing that causes him to turn because it's what he's... You know, we've spent this entire time of him sort of overcoming this reputation for stabbing the king in the back for something that was very legitimate that we, you know, spent six or whatever, five, four or five seasons learning of why he did it in the first place, you know, when he tells Brienne. Um, and so, like, this, it's his whole narrative arc has been premised on this thing that happened uh, that he was sort of really doing the right thing, even though it came off really badly, you know, in public perception. And then his sister does it, and he's like... Yeah, but she's just kind of evil, so, you know, what can you expect? Anyway, I'm still going to be here. <laughs> like, Yeah, but what, that's your whole character is that you hate this kind of thing. So, yeah, I guess maybe he's going to go Well, crazy, I mean, he's but... also, he's a different, he's a very different person, and I think one of the yeah, but main ways that he's getting different. Better. He was, you know, becoming an even better person than he was before. But I, I also think he's less, he's less ambitious and he's less driven than he used to be. Um... And I think he's, you know, he, I think he's more cautious, um, probably more reasonable, <laughs> um, but also less willing to, like, kind of act unilaterally in just just based on his uh, kind of gut feelings or his own uh, kind of uh, burst of emotion. Um, when he killed the Mad King, obviously he was justified, but, like, he didn't have any... Uh, Real, he he had no affection for that person, um, and he could act purely on, uh, just what he yeah, and what he thought was right, and what other people told him was right. Um, his relationship with Cersei is so much, you know, is so (laughs) messed up (laughs) in a number of ways. Um, so yeah, he has he has a much different connection to her that I think is going to it's much more twisted. And like like I said, it's it's probably gonna end with him just straight up killing her. I think, like I said, I think it's a very valid prediction. Prediction. I just it's hard to reconcile his character arc, which went on for several seasons, with 
him coming back to Cersei, which we've talked about before, and then especially considering that even Cersei, as evil as she was before, now has really, really crossed the line, and he's still just like, yeah, but, you know, she has no... I mean, and yeah. we'll see what he does, too, you know? We'll see kind yeah, of... Yeah, we'll see what he undermines or whatever, but he's still, you know, protective and, you know, trying to assassinate, like, the one relationship that she might have. Maybe maybe that's his aim, is to, you know, weaken her. I I, I don't know. It's a... But it's just... It's weird for me to, to, to understand that character arc. Um, but yes, Ed Sheeran is the, uh, the next scene. <laughs> <laughs> now for some yeah. Ed Sheeran. Um... So I had written down like any thoughts on the Ed Sheeran cameo, and then I just wrote no, no. I don't like him. Um, I I don't know why he's here. <laughs> I don't really have an opinion on the cameo. I just don't know. I, I mean, I, well, they've had cameos from musicians before, I guess. Yeah, but they like, mostly just uh, play things. Yeah, they're mostly just <laughs> they were they were bands like in taverns or whatever. Um, yeah, it's it's a strange. I mean, I get that Ed Sheeran is really popular, but it's just an odd... Well, now he's been in Lord of the Rings. Well, at least his music has been Lord of the Rings and in uh, Game of Thrones, oh, yeah. which is kind of uh, funny. So, This was a great scene otherwise, though. Yeah, it was a really good scene. And uh, also, I, I, I'm getting the impression he can't act because he didn't... Mm, yeah, he, he has about one line. He has one line, and they didn't bother putting him in anything else. And Or maybe they didn't want to, they wanted to, didn't want to distract... Uh, so uh, here's what I'll say. Okay, so I liked. First of all, he's he cannot hit, change his style to fit anything else. It just is what it is. <laughs> so that was really funny to hear him sing it. I'm like, that's just an Ed Sheeran song. That said, I'm okay with it uh, because as we've talked about many times, Game of Thrones, in some ways, does a pretty good job with world building. You know, it's got a history and religion and whatever. And in other ways, it's just terrible at world building. <laughs> There's no music. I have no idea what it's like a daily life in the world of like Westeros. I have no clue. Yeah. No clue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And part of that is that basic things like music, etc., are not taken care of. Like they're not in the show. Um, we know that there's like little religious cults that form. There's poor people or something, and you know, but if you look at a yeah, show like well... you know, probably one of the best world building. Some of the best world building that's ever been done in a television show, I would argue, was in Avatar The Last Airbender, right? And in that show, there's plays and music and language and religion and this and that. And, like, a thou- it's all, you know, part of every culture that they encounter throughout the series. And they make it a huge point of... Uh, and it's fictional. I mean, they're based on real things, but it's fictional. They still put time into that sort of aspect of what's going on. You even get little things like the, 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 the cabbage merchant and things like that, where it's like, okay, so that's what he does. Like, I don't even know what they would sell in this world or what they, it's just no time is really spent on that aspect of, uh, of the Game of Thrones yeah. world. And so with this little bit of music, I'm like, oh, maybe that's the kind of thing they might sing. Right. Cause the only song we've yeah. gotten aside from that is the one that they played a thousand times. <laughs> uh, good song. But yeah. It, it's, and the, I mean the whole scene. It's 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 not just the song. The whole scene is about how there are people in this world who don't belong to the major houses yeah, yeah. and who don't have any impact on the big the game um, of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> who have you know just just regular people who exist in the world and who are kind of you know 
Paul, like I, what I love, you, I love this scene a lot. And what I especially, what I love about it is that Arya rides up and she sees the red cloaks, and you know she's thinking, "All right, I'm about to go murder some Lannisters." Yeah. <laughs> um, but as the scene goes on, and they kind of reveal themselves to one, none of them are Lannisters, really. No. Um, they're all just people who fight for the queen. Um. Two, they're all just regular people <laughs> who aren't uh, evil, and they don't really, ha- you know, they don't really have a say in the matter. They they just fight for who they fight mm-hmm. for. Um, and she kind of Arya, who's this character who, for basically for 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 an eternity, her whole thing has been this laser focus, this unilateral uh, decision. Everyone who has wronged her and her family has to die. Yeah. All of them. They're all. Culp- everyone who's even remotely culpable, I'm going to kill them. And this is her being confronted with the reality of, like, there's a whole world outside of, you know, the most powerful feud. people. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. It, it, and it's encapsulated just because they are... with that one line, right, when he says, you know, it's what, if you think we were able to send ravens back and forth, or that ravens come for, uh, for my family, or whatever it was. Um, yeah, yeah, that was, it, it's, you, you, and I mean, Maisie Williams is a great actress, and you see her expression over the course of this scene, like she's so wary and kind of confused at this idea that these people who are a part of the Lannister faction are so completely disconnected from anything that she associates the with level. the Lannisters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah, because and and that's it's it's kind of a comment on the show itself because you know, like I said, the, the a problem that the show has had, and like you said has been that because it is so completely focused on the people at the top, um, there's really no sense of a world... Exi- you know, what worlds are they fighting for? They're fighting to gain power over, you know, a country and a kingdom, but we have no sense of what that kingdom is. Yeah. And this is a great example of showing, like, well, this is what people are actually like in this world. This is how they view... And all, and that play, remember? You remember that play yeah. that she was in last season? That was another great example. Yeah, that was. Yeah, like we how... talked about why that was good for that reason is that it gave us at least a little bit of. Uh, and I think I mentioned Avatar in that case too, because it's a similar <laughs> yeah, you sort did, of thing. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. That's how you know people on the ground feel, and it's you know at the end of the day, everyone's going to be talking about oh you know John won because of X Y Z or Daenerys ended up becoming queen and that was great and whatever. But you know what did that mean for the whatever three. First of all, all, the people who died, then all the people who were on the uh, the wrong side of it, who were just citizens of it, one place or another, or who are now citizens of the winning faction, quote unquote. Like, is their life Im- yeah. better? Did any of this actually matter to them? I mean, it'd be really funny if they had a recurring normal character whose life doesn't really change they by the should. end of the show. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because that's this is sort of uh, the series was not intended as a critique of this brand of fantasy and like Lord of the Rings, but George R. R. Martin in writing it, I think he said this in the past, like when at the end of Lord of the Rings, Aragorn becomes the king, um, there's no sense of that. He's at all qualified to lead a kingdom, <laughs> you know, like what, what is his policy on grain taxes? Gonna be? <laughs> um, th- there's, you know, what do regular people think about this person who just showed up yep. and now he's the king? Um, that's interesting. There's none of that. And that's fine. I mean, look, I love Lord of the Rings. I don't think that's a flaw of Lord of the Rings. But that's that's is an example of the kind of story that George R. R. Martin wanted to tell with this series of, like, what if in this kind of medieval fantasy context we had to reckon with, like, 
you know, what does it mean to be a king with dragons? <laughs> but also, you have to actually be a leader of a, of a kingdom. Um, and that's something that I think just in kind of the way they have to pare stuff down for the show, uh, it's lost. Um, you spend a lot more time in the books with, like, well, here's, ordinary Okay, people. but here's the contrast, right? Here's the contrast between Lord of the Rings and, and Game of Thrones. Lord of the Rings got around that problem, I think. I disagree with George R. R. Martin because it, we got we got around that problem with yeah sure we don't know what his policy on grain taxes or whatever you know what's day to day life like in Minas Tirith, but um, on the other hand it started with the quote unquote you know every person right it started with the hobbits yeah and that oh, yeah. was our into like they're the normal characters who are th- quote unquote normal characters who are thrown into the cr- ridiculous crazy world of elves and magic and whatever. And in this case, George R. R. Martin's answer was, oh, let's have Daenerys try and very boringly manage, uh, <laughs> you know, cities for six books or whatever. And, like, I don't know, I'd rather the first option, personally. But <laughs> I get, you know, yeah. I guess, you know, you could t- you take what you get. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, you know. Uh, and then I think better than both of them is, um, or not, I don't know, better than both of them, but another approach is to choose commoners as your uh, lead characters, which is what a show like Avatar does, I I would say. Um, Although, ironically, just not to completely derail this, but um, Toph in in, in Avatar, Toph is an aristocrat, and um, Katara and uh, Sokka are both the children of the leaders of a tribe, so are therefore almost royalty. So maybe they're not actually commoners, but whatever, you get the, the, the general idea. Yeah, but Sokka and Katara are like essentially peasants at the beginning of the show. Like they their are their, but their equivalents is... in the other tribe are are still aristocrats are still uh you know, like princesses and whatever. They're exact equivalents. Yeah, but it's like being the princess of like dirt. Basically. <laughs> it, it doesn't mean a whole lot. I suppose and also there's like nothing really to rule, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, but but that that vibe is still, I think, very significant in that case. And then especially in in Korra, it's the same, where those are mostly commoners. They don't really have much. Uh, and I think there's there's something to that. There's something really fun about that angle. They're not chosen in any sort of significant way. Uh, in this in this case, it's you know a fight amongst the you know named lords, and there's not really a challenge from the lower classes. Uh, and the one who does challenge is blown up, right? You have the um, Hmm. You have the, uh, what was his name? The High Sparrow. Sparrow. I was going to say Grand Sparrow. Yeah, High Sparrow. Uh, and then, alternatively, you have Daenerys sort of pretending like, oh, I'm I'm the liberator of, like, working people, but still I want to rule you. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> yeah. There's not really any Daenerys, hero of the working yeah, class. I'm going to think the uh, High Sparrow might have, he's crazy. He was crazy. But I think, being anything, he might have had a point. Mm, yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, I could see where he was coming from. Uh, yeah, I mean, in this world, if that's the only way you can wrest control as a peasant is to rise up through the ranks of the religious side, sure. I mean, <laughs> I don't see how else you would do it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, so there was this little uh, this little cameo, and uh, again, I mentioned the little time jump. Um, and then on the flip side of this, uh, I think it's significant that we immediately go to the hound. Um, who, oh yeah, this and yeah, this uh, this whole scene. <laughs> yeah, this whole scene. I I actually really like this. Uh, I know you said you thought it was weird. I I liked it, um, and I do wonder if there's some 
elements of the Hound's connection with Arya that we may have missed. That maybe he thinks that Arya has died or something as horrible has happened to her and that he feels responsible. Because I do think that there's some parallel, with, as I was saying before, uh, between this, this father-daughter uh, that he that they ran into a couple of seasons ago and is now dead and he wasn't able to save his daughter and the same thing with the hound. He lost this fight with, with Brienne and you know, who knows if, you know, he didn't know who she was or what her motives were and might think that Arya died as a result. And perhaps he had more of a affection, more affection for her than we realize. Uh, so I think that if they do have a reunion at some point, it's going to be very interesting to see how he reacts to it. Yeah, well, I mean, she she thinks he's dead, for one. She thinks he's dead, and vice, I assume vice versa. Yeah, well, I don't know. If I'm the Hound, I feel like Arya's pretty capable. She's probably out there kicking somewhere. Maybe, but at the very least, he did feel, He probably feels like he failed to protect her. Oh, no, I mean, you're absolutely right, yeah. He definitely feels like he failed as just a... Uh, in terms of being responsible for her, <laughs> her well-being. Right. Um, but yeah, this... This scene, I don't know... Be, We've talked about this a lot in the past, I think, how <laughs> it's strange that the Lord of Light religion seems to be, like, real, and it seems, because there's a lot of religions on this show, but they keep kind of driving home that this is the that this one is actually real, and because it, it, they do actual magic, they really bring back people from the dead, and now the Hound, who has no reason to believe that any of this is real, and who explicitly doesn't, actually has a real vision in the fire. <laughs> um, and, and just the the construction of the scene was kind of strange because they kept cutting back to the fire and I kept thinking that they were going to like you do some kind of effect where like we could I'm actually kind of see something it, to be honest because I mean I really I think dumb. it's probably good that they didn't it would have been it would have definitely been corny but it's strange that they kept like they kept cutting back to the reverse shot of the fire like we were supposed to see what he's seeing <laughs> and I think it would have been better if it had just stayed on his face while he's describing yeah, it maybe, show maybe, it anyway maybe, yeah um yeah, I, I was I was expecting the same thing, the exact same thought, but I guess it didn't it just didn't bother me. Um, but I, I, yeah. So the thing that I find funny about this whole sequence and about the Lord of Light in general, I've brought this up in the past, is why there's this assumption that the the Lord of Light is a god, and not just some like yeah. pissed off demon. <laughs> you know, like why me? Why does he keep bringing me back? Um, I don't know. Maybe just messing with you. You know, like yeah. that's. There's no assumption that, you know, and maybe the Lord of Light will show up as a character towards the end of the series and we'll be like, oh, he's just some, you know, jerk character who's been messing with people for the past couple of seasons. Oh, God. They're not, you don't think they're going to, oh, God. You think they're going to do a thing where, like, a character who we know, like, reveals, like, oh, I, I was, I've been the Lord of Light. Oh, maybe. All along. I'm the manifestation of the Lord of Light, and I led you, the Hound, on the, on an important spiritual journey. Yeah, right. Like, and now I'm knows? going to go. But it's this assumption that, like, you know, there's this all-powerful all god, you know, just because they were able to bring you back from the dead a few times. All right. I mean, I, that's a significant feat. I agree. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, the, again, there's this presumption of, of, of omnipotence and whatever that may not be true at all. Um, maybe this one just thinks it's really funny uh, to <laughs> keep bringing back this random drunk guy. Uh to for for no particular reason because he thinks it would freak people out you know i i don't know um i would love that i would love <laughs> if especially because of because of melisandre too her whole character i think that would be genuinely great if 
the Lord of Light was just like a prankster demon. Yeah. I mean, why not, right? And so Yeah. And and we have been shown that some of the other religions do have some merit, right? The old gods certainly. Oh uh, yeah, I guess brand like people have special powers based on yeah. the trees. So there's certainly yeah. other religions where there's and and in that case, no <laughs> and that's weird been... too that there's like multiple true religions in this world. Well, that's what I'm saying. But at, the, at least with the old gods, no one's saying no. They don't communicate. They pray to these gods or whatever. But there's n- like Bran isn't like an acolyte of some religion. He just knows about the three-eyed raven. He knows about the children of the f- was it children of the forest and all that. Yeah. So those are are they the old gods? No. Yes. No. I don't know. Um. But they're real. Yeah. But there's no presumption of omnipotence from any of these characters. Whereas with the Lord of Light, they're like, no, nope, must true. be, nope, must be God. Um. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, how humans. <laughs> and there's act. the. Which is fine, but it's just... There's the drowned god, too. We don't know much about that. We don't, but we haven't seen any evidence of that, either. Yeah. So it's possible that, you know, that's just nothing. I'm sure there's nothing religions as well in this world. That would be funny if every religion was true except for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we also don't think of any evidence of the seven. That's true, too. That one also seemed like a, a state religion that was sort of used more for control than for, like... I've always thought of that as, like, an Old Testament, New Testament thing. With the old gods, where it's like, it's this, like, it's kind of, you're describing the same thing. It's just kind of like, <laughs> it's, it's different perspectives. Yeah, I, I, I got that vibe too. And, and you certainly, I assume that's the part of the, um, the inspiration for those. Um, but yeah, the only two that we've seen any evidence for are the old gods and, and the, the Lord of Light. But again, it's just, it's just, every time we have this conversation, they're like trying to make it this, this profound thing about like, well, why me? And why, why choose me for this mission or why, whatever. Um, to connect it to, I guess, you know, real existential existential questions about, you know, why did this happen to me in in real life, and you know, attributing to some higher power. Um, but again, it's all predicated on these events being connected to some sort of omnipotent being, and it may just not be at all. You know, who knows? And the reason, one of the reasons I think about this a lot is, um, I know you didn't play through all of The Witcher Three, but there's a great side mission um, early on in the game where you go to like this ruined house and there's these two guys and they're convinced that there's there's they keep bringing food to this little opening in the ground and they're like and you walk up to them and they're they're bringing this food and you're like why are you doing this and like well god told us to and you (laughs) and you're like "Mm, okay and you can decide to just leave it alone or you can start interrogating the situation a little bit more and you find out there's a voice coming out of this hole and if you go down the stairs in the back, you find out there's a demon in the basement that's just talking up through the hole at these two guys, telling them to put food at the hole because, and he's convinced them that he's God, but it's just a like a like a creature who's, who's convinced them that this is the case. As so I just keep thinking, that's what's going to happen with the Lord of Light. You know, it's like it's a voice coming out of a hole, but it's not. It's just some, and he's like tries to convince you to not like give away his secret. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to just keep messing with these two so that you can keep you can keep like getting fatter <laughs> in the basement of this house and it's just it's very uh you know that's 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 a little light right there um <laughs> if i had to guess uh but in any case uh so yeah so it's but so aside from that though i think this scene is really good because i think that we get some really um some real humanity out of the hound that we've not really seen before aside from the way he pairs up with Arya, but even in that case, he finds it hard to really form any connection. Um, but here he feels genuinely bad about what happened um, to these two. 
for the dad and the, the, the daughter. And I think the... Yeah. Uh, and the I didn't get until the very end of this scene that these were the two that he and Arya had met earlier. Really? Not from the previously on? Were they in the previously on? Because I missed they them. They were. It's the whole sequence in that, yeah, where he... I completely missed it then. I think he's about to kill them, or he stabs one of them but didn't kill him, and then she's like, no, and he's like, the winter's going to kill them anyway. Hmm. Oh, yeah, it was in the previously on, that's why I... I don't remember that at all. Huh? Yeah. I'm glad they say it in the, in the episode as well, so you don't have to rely on that, but yeah, it was... Otherwise, I wouldn't have known either. I would have forgotten. Yeah, I mean, the, the scene plays whether you know them, whether he's met them or not, I think, because the whole point is that he has compassion for these two people who, you know, died, <laughs> but... It's yeah. It makes more sense once you realize the the history. And it's tragic because that's what he said is that you know the winter is going to get them anyway. It's actually a mercy to do this now. Um, I would argue you know let them decide that. Um, maybe yeah. But, <laughs> you know fine. Uh, and then it turns out he's right and he realizes that you know they kind of were suffering and that he had to kill his own kid, which I suppose is a much worse situation than getting murdered. Maybe I don't know, but it's really awful. Um, so yes, yeah, so it was really sad and, and you get this, uh, this really great scene where they, uh, you know, where he and I guess the priest are, yeah, Thoros, yeah, Thoros are, are, um, are burying these two. Uh, and I also like that he tries to say, a a religious, like, oh, you know, he fails at it, a eulogy, yeah. <laughs> but he, uh, that sort of has a little bit of the carryover from the last season where he was in that weird little cult. <laughs> Uh, or whatever it was, um, that worship the Seven. Uh, and it's interesting that Thoros doesn't try and fit in some sort of Lord of Light prayer either. He doesn't shoehorn his religion in on whatever they're saying. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's about it. I think the last, the very last uh, scene is with, with Daenerys. Did we talk, well, we talked a little about Sam, right? Oh, yeah, we did talk about Sam, sorry. I think I skipped over that. We, to- we talked about the big montage... Um, That's pretty much it. We didn't talk about... Uh, well, it was nice to see Jim Broadbent, but that was kind of a brief scene. Yeah, it was nice to see Jim Broadbent. And um, one thing I do want to point out is that I didn't really understand what maesters were, I guess. Oh, until yeah? Until now. Like, I, I knew they were... It's it's not it's not explicitly clear, ever. <laughs> well, they, they make this point about, you know, that they're bookkeepers and they keep records of stuff fine like that, I kind of got. But the implication that they're scientists is very cool. Uh, for me, mm-hmm. um, as a scientist, but yeah. I think um, also cool in the context of, you know, a lot of people see the White Walkers as, you know, a metaphor for climate change, which we've talked about in the past. Um, and if the scientists are the ones who are end up informing or not informing, and it, it, you know, this whole—it's basically they're reinventing what the the, the masters are. I feel like, but whatever. Uh, where he's like, we're critical of everything. We don't believe anything without evidence, and yada yada yada. I was like, this sounds like scientists. That's good, um, you know. And but they but not not great in the context of the climate change metaphor. <laughs> well, no, they're skeptics in that. <laughs> no, no, but but the way he puts together where he's like, no, actually, there's too many incons- there's too many consistent stories. That's true. It must be yeah. true. Uh, you know, that's that's the argument. You know, that's how science works, right? But he doesn't think it's an imminent threat. Is he doesn't think it's an imminent threat. That's true, but. You know, perhaps in this case it's not. It would be better if they were all on board with this. Um, so yes, I agree in that sense. But that it, it is a scientist, quote unquote, you know, whatever, uh, that yeah. ends up, you know, helping solve this problem with some sort of innovative solution. Uh, that being Sam, of course. Um, that uh, you know, that's kind of a, a fun uh, 
you know lens to see this uh see his role in the in the 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 Game of Thrones universe. And then the one thing we didn't also we didn't mention is that uh, apparently Jorah is at the Citadel. Yeah. That was a that was I did not expect that. Me I neither. mean, it's more consolidating like characters, I guess. Um true. very true. And when it happened, I was like, yeah, all right. <laughs> Makes sense, I guess. Um I guess that's just yeah. him off-screen. I wonder if that was even his arm or if like <laughs> They just called him in to do like voice acting until later. <laughs> that seemed that seemed to be his his profile. Yeah, um, you're right. Yeah, maybe in silhouette. Was, yeah, just making things up, but it was. Such I, a small yeah, point. It, but it is kind of interesting that I I don't know how if ta- Sam will have time to cure Grayscale in his plot this season, but presumably I don't know. Maybe if he sets off somewhere. the Raven about the Dragonstone, that's already been resolved in one episode, so maybe he can focus on something else. Um, <laughs> yeah, my next project. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's you know he needs something to do. And okay, so two things. First of all, Jorah's mission, I guess, was terrible. Like, yeah, complete failure. Complete failure. Right? Like, go off and find a cure or whatever. And then he just didn't. And he's just sitting around waiting for her to show up again. Um, so that's weird. Uh, and the other thing is, we still haven't connected dra- uh, Dragon Scale right to anything in the plot. Like, uh, we haven't connected. Dragon Scale to anything in the plot. There's no like purpose to it in the context of the White Walkers, dragons, anything. It's just a disease. Right? There's no well, like relevance to anything. It doesn't make you immune to dragon th- fire or something. It doesn't there's nothing. Was the thing with um Stannis's daughter I don't remember. Was was it was it that Melisandre like stopped the spread of the grayscale? She did something with it. And Oh, so maybe that's the connect. Maybe there's some Lord of Light connection between that and the but i mean you're you're right i think it's it, it's not at all connected to anything else that's going on uh in in a way that's clear so far exactly and so you know i don't know if that's because you know so what's kind of cool in the in the real world is that sometimes certain diseases that have you know pretty serious ramifications have some benefits so like for example sickle cell anemia gives you protection from malaria but also um, puts you at risk for other diseases, so or other other conditions. So, um, you know, maybe dragon skill is one of those kind of things that sort of evolved, so to speak, in this world where, um, you know, yes, it can turn you into this, you know, a, a stone man or whatever the the term is. Um, on one hand, which is terrible, but on the other hand, perhaps it confers some sort of ability. Um, maybe it makes you immune to white walker magic or something i don't i don't know um but they haven't really demonstrated that at all in the show so it's kind of like this weird lingering element yeah um but speaking of uh, daenerys who is uh, that's how this this transition happens um we get a very long scene with her staring at things uh, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot. Of we haven't seen we haven't seen Dragonstone in so long that the impact of the scene is a little lessened. Um, I can't remember ever seeing the throne room of Dragonstone. I don't think we did. Um, I think we only saw the map. Yeah, I mean, room. I didn't. I thought it was just some little yeah. building somewhere. I didn't realize it was like a whole <laughs> island or like I, I forgot that was a thing. That throne looks really cool, by the it's way. It's super cool. The so Iron, was the fortress. The Iron Throne looks like garbage compared to it. Yeah, the fortress is cool. The the throne room is cool. The the sheer like rocks, uh, on the beach. All of it's cool, but yeah, it's sort of out of nowhere. Um, because they clearly did not budget that for earlier seasons with Stannis. <laughs> um, and it's cool too, because you know they 
make a point of, um, or Jamie makes a point of saying earlier on that that was where the Targaryens had their first fortress. So, you know, it's sort of Daenerys finally being where, and, and I, the one thing I'll say for all of those ridiculous seasons of Daenerys trying to rule random cities in, in Essos is that um, the contrast between her trying to, or her ascending to a throne or returning to a place where it's sort of like not hers, she sort of inserted herself there versus being in what is clearly designed for her with dragons and all the rest of it. It's just night and day. Um, so that was kind of cool to see uh, where she could finally sort of feel quote unquote at home, you know, uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it was cool. It was a cool scene in that regard, but it's a lot of staring. And then she says, you know, shall we begin or whatever? I get the, I get that this was supposed to be like the big, like, ah, you've been, you've, you've been waiting for years. She find although they kind of underplay her first steps. They do it in this big wide shot that you can barely see. Yeah. Um, well, it was a bunch, of, was a bunch weird, of weird choice. They cut around a bit. There's the wide shot, and then there's her leaning down and doing the thing, and then she's looking up and down and up and down, yada, yada. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot, and it's it's kind of like... I think they didn't need to do uh, make this a big deal because we all knew this was happening... Like, well, it's really funny too because we thought. I mean, it's not as satisfying as her leaving last season. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that was a moment where we're like, oh, well, this also yes. isn't the finale of the season. So let's, you know, to be fair, but but yeah, but like I, I was more excited about her leaving than I am about her getting getting there. Well, <laughs> I guess did we know she was going to Dragonstone? Because that's another thing. I mean, I don't. I'm not specifically, but it makes sense. No, it makes total sense narratively. But I, you know, when she's leaving, it's like, oh, great, she's about to land in King's Landing, and well, you know attack everyone no she's going to another place so she can sit down and gather more people and talk and yada 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 and we're not going to see any fighting yeah there's going to be a big episode now there's going to be like uh, <laughs> three episodes of her debating with john about whether he can use the dragon glass right 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 yeah exactly exactly <laughs> and, and that's going to be a negotiation and this that and the other thing and um you know there's gonna be a lot of standing around that table because they still had the prop they had to keep using it you know um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's all fine. It's just like, here's a way for her to go to Westeros without actually going to Westeros so that we can continue to drag out this, <laughs> you know, it, obviously she's not going to go straight to King's uh, Landing because that would be too easy. Even though, ironically, although she still has an army, Cersei is actually very weak right now. It'd probably be a good time. Yeah. Um, especially if by the time they get there, Euron's already sailed away, so they can't, he can't even come back to help. It'd be great. Um, but, uh, yeah, alas, that's, that's not the case. Um, but anyway, it's a, it's a perfectly moving and, uh, we were really down on this last scene. I thought it was great. Uh, overall, I really liked this episode. I want to make that very clear. I, I liked this episode a lot. I thought it was shot well. I thought it was, um, a lot of really cool, uh, almost voyeuristic shots from behind things and through, um, through holes and openings and doors and whatever, uh, it was pretty to look at, uh, you know, I don't, none of it was, you know, transcendent, you know, like a Miguel Sapochnik sort of episode. Um, but it was definitely more engaging visually and, and narratively than uh, even a lot of other uh, premieres of the of the show. So I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it was good. <laughs> good. <laughs> we'll see where this all goes, I guess. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I think the one thing we can all agree on is that uh, we hope there's more Ed Sheeran in uh, future episodes. Uh, seems like a very important character. Yeah. And um, 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm just I'm just looking at his quote about the scene before the episode aired. He said, "Quote: Nothing exciting happens in this scene. We just have a conversation, and that's kind of it." <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's true, and uh, it's funny that the you know was it worth the uh, you know deleted his Twitter account or whatever? Was it worth all of that? For him yeah. to be in this, like it's it's bizarre because I think the scene's important, but I don't know how, how important he was. He'd have had anybody singing in that scene. There's plenty of singers in the world. Um, <laughs> one thing I will say about that scene though is I really like how it's how it's shot. Again, as another example, where it keeps cutting away to that sort of wide shot where it's tucked, where they're all tucked into the corner of it, but you have the stream coming down the side on the left. Um, it's just really pretty. It's a really pretty. Uh, scene where you're getting a lot more of the world. You know, one of the great things about Lord of the Rings and the films, uh, the way it's shot, is that, you know, there's a lot of just going through the... Aside from those those amazing aerial shots of New Zealand, which are always incredible and really give you a sense of the landscape, um, even when they're just wandering through the forest, the, the cameras are really following these characters, so you get this sense of space and where they are. And, um, you know, you get to sit and listen to the birds and the water and the sticks crackling and things like that. And I think that there's a lot more of that in Lord of the Rings than we probably even realize, but it's very atmospheric. And when we hear the music and things that, you know, in the soundtrack after the fact, it brings us back to that. And in this scene, I, you know, I, I got more of that sort of sense where, you know, we're just listening to the, them eating and talking and the water nearby and that kind of thing. And it's just, it's much more atmospheric. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. But yeah, so uh, I think that about sums it up. Do you know what the next episode is called? It is called Stormborn. Stormborn. Wow, they're really. Wonder who that's about. They're really going for it. So Stormborn's next week, and uh, I look forward to uh, discussing that with you then. All right.